Well, take your Bibles tonight and uh, go with me to 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 3, and then we're going to go right into chapter number 4. So 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 3 and uh, the latter part of that, and then also chapter number 4. Sure, it's good to see Brother Sam Miss Sandy here tonight as well. They just came from a preaching trip, and uh, most recently, I think, in Kentucky, so I'm glad they get to be here uh, tonight. So this is a little bit of a follow-up to our message on... Uh, June the 26th, applying transformational love to the transgender issue. And if you re recall that, and uh, so it's partly that, but then also uh, here in the month, or sorry, in the summer months, uh, just taking some time to study and use our theme, uh, Love God's Way, and looking at the New Testament passages that emphasize the um, repeated theme about our need as believers to love, to love one another and to love others. I mean, it, it's all throughout the New Testament. It's, a, it's the trademark, it's the hallmark of the believer. And so we shouldn't be surprised to see it repeated over and over. And, and I'm, I'm sensing God's leadership even more and more to head into about in the first part of the fall, August or so, um, latter part of the summer to, to go right into 1 John. I mean, that's just where our theme verses are there in 1 John 4 and verse 11. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And, um, and so that, that epistle along with, you know, the second and the third would also, I believe, be a great study for us. And so becoming more and more convinced about that, still praying about it. But uh, while we're in between series, we're looking at some of Paul's letters and Peter's and uh, in regards to what they say about loving one another. So join me now looking at chapter three. And um, it's kind of hard just to jump, jump into uh, anywhere in chapter one, two, or three because it's all a unit, but we'll do our best here and, and look at verse number 11. Paul writes to them, Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Verse 13, to the end or towards this goal, this outcome that he's looking for. So may God help you to increase and abound in love one toward another and towards all men to the end <clears throat> that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Now, that's certainly another theme in the, in the letter to the Thessalonian believers. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. So what, what's he communicating right there? Well, none of us have reached uh, a state of full maturity in our Christian life. We're to be abounding more and more. By the way, there's no neutrality in the Christian life. Either actively serving God or actively serving self. There's no middle ground. So he says abound more and more. For ye know what commandments... We gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain 
from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Notice the contrast in verse 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. Holiness. All right, there's a word repeated again. He's called us unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his holy spirit. Now, let's just keep reading right on through verse number 12. It says in verse 9, but as touching brotherly love. Okay, so he comes back to that theme of brotherly love again. You see it. It was in the latter part of chapter 3. He mentions holiness in the last part of chapter 3. He really elaborates on holiness in the first part of chapter 4. And then he comes back to holiness in these verses. I'm sorry, back to the theme of love on on the latter part of this section of 1 Thessalonians 4. So in verse number 9, he says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it toward all the brethren, he's commending them, which are in, Ma in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase, here it is again, you see it? More and more. Increase more and more. In other words, don't get complacent in your Christian life. Increase more and more. And that's your study to be quiet. You say, I think some need to enroll in that class. Well, <laughs> may not mean exactly what you are thinking about there, but and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have lack of nothing. Now, we're not going to deal as much with those last verses as we are the first few. But here's what we're going to look at uh, tonight. Again, it's, it's a follow-up to what we considered a few weeks ago, but then also just looking at uh, the emphasis to love one another. And so here's the, the title tonight, God's View on Love. God's View on Love. Would you agree tonight that man's view is skewed? It's twisted. So let's look at this as God's view on love. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll see God's view on love here tonight. Well, we've already stated it, but I think it's worth saying again, the world is confused and confusing others. Confused and, and, and confusing others of all ages on what love is, um, on what it means to love. We, you have slogans. I mean, you and I both are bombarded by them. And this is where we tie in a little bit to what we considered a couple of weeks ago about applying transformational love to the transgender issue and, and the homosexual issue and all, all issues of deviance from God's perfect plan. Um, but you see banners like this, love is love. 
Love is love. How many of you have seen that, that banner? Love is love. You know, you know what that's saying? That's saying love is whatever you want it to be. Love is love. Um, or you'll see this. Uh, choose your love. Choose your love. So in other words, it's just all very open-ended. So it's very clear. I mean, you, you, you see, uh, you know, promotional videos, uh, video how you're going to come out to let others know what your gender is or what uh, your sexual preference is. And I mean, you, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there. It's just, it's, it's nearly mind-boggling. I, I just had fellowship and uh, with... Um, for Larry Baker, and, and we were just talking about the issue itself, and, and he had documented several things that, that have gone on in our day and time, you know, things that have taken place here in Oklahoma and in Florida, and I mean, really just across the nation of just uh, all kinds of things going on in public school systems among kindergartners and elementary children, and of course in middle schools. I mean, it's just it's just, it really is mind-blowing. I mean, things that you never, you never thought would have been going on in the United States of America. So the world's form of love is confused. The world's form of love is certainly self-centered. It's selfish. I mean, this is evident in large and small ways. This is um, a little bit more of a humor uh, relief right here. Uh, one lady wrote this, Dearest Jimmy, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. So uh, <laughs> it may have been a little bit of an impure motive there. On that one, right. In such a mixed up society, we've got to know what true love looks like. We, we really need God's view on love. Listen, you're not going to get, and I, I don't watch this, I don't endorse this, I'm just using the word, you're not going to get God's view on love from the view. Is that right? I know this much about that, but I know enough about it to know that you're going to get this much of God's view on the view. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Um, we're not going to get God's view of love from Hollywood and things that are on YouTube and other social media platforms and other ways. I mean, you're just going to get more and more confused. You know what broke my heart as I thought about this? I thought about kids at home today and teenagers at home today that are just streaming and, and just going from one either movie or, or video to the next and just their life is inundated. Their minds are permeated with just all kinds of raunchiness, I honestly couldn't mention in a mixed crowd like this without blushing and being embarrassed. In fact, even some of the things I'm going to mention here tonight, um, you know, are just that way. But, but nonetheless, folks, I, I know that you agree with this and I know that, that the vast majority of you would, ag would agree. I, I, there's no question in my mind about that. But, but I'd be pretty naive to think, you know, nobody here is really struggling with uh, sexual temptation. 
I mean, as we get into it, I mean, that's, that's obviously where Paul was headed. And, and it's not like there was specific things mentioned there. By the way, he was in Corinth when he got word about how things were in there in Thessalonica. And so he's dealing with some major things in, in Corinth, but they were dealing with some issues there in, in, Thessal, in Thessalonica. And given the amount of space that he gives to this topic, I would say that he's dealing with something that would be very relevant uh, to the church that was there then. And I, I would say with all confidence that you would say, my soul preacher, you and I both know it's very relevant to where we are right now today. So if we're really going to give justice and do justice to this theme about love God's way, then we really need to understand what purity looks like God's way and not buy in for one millisecond to what the world's idea is about love and, and think somehow that God's okay with it because he never has been and he is not and he cannot be. And so we don't need to have a mean spirit about it, but we need to be real clear about it. And, and we need to, I believe, hear it over and over again because if we're not careful, even you and I who grew up in church can have our morals change as we watch scene after scene or we're bombarded by billboard after billboard or speech after speech or 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 uh, one entity after another entity that is, is waving a rainbow flag or endorsing this person or that person or this sports star that's doing this or that. I mean, we're just bombarded on every side. Surely it do us good to I have the word of God before us on a regular basis to help us think right about this area. And it's not just the young people that need this. It's all of us here tonight to understand what love God's way is. I, I pray that in your, in your marriage tonight, that you'd experience love God's way. And, and that if you're not married tonight, that you'd wait on God. And that you'd say this, listen, I, 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 I know what's right. And I know what's wrong. And I want to make a choice even here tonight, if you haven't already, it's best to make up your mind right now before you get to Friday night. It's best to make your mind up here and, and right now in this auditorium while your mind's on this and say, you know, God, I need your help right here. And, and, and I want to tune into this because I'm bombarded. Maybe even someone right here tonight, because I, I know it's, it's highly probable that that, that, that a vast majority right here of our own members of, of you are struggling maybe with even pornography or sexual temptation from some angle or, or, or whatever. You know somebody that is. Listen, this is very pertinent to what we deal with day by day, week by week. Sure would be good if this could head off some problems for some or correct problems in others. Would you be open to it tonight? Would you listen? And it's not going to solely be on, on the matter, but it certainly is uh, highly that way because it's certainly what Paul was dealing with. And he loved this church. He loved, he loved all the churches that God allowed him to be a part of. And and, uh, you know, even as your pastor, I got to tell you, I, I love you as, as a pastor and, and want the very best in your life. And, 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 uh, and you and I both have been heartbroken over families that have split and over people that a year ago were right here among us. But allowing things to begin to slide has caused many to pay a real heavy price. Paul wanted to know what this, how this church was doing. Let me ask you tonight, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing? Would you, would you think about it here tonight? How are you really doing spiritually? How are you really doing? 
Paul wanted to know, you know, it's, he wasn't living in the time like we are where you can just push sin. I mean, I, you know, Brother John's here and, and he and I have kept in touch and other uh, of our uh, missionaries. I mean, just in texting, I mean, we can find out how's it going. But that wasn't the case with Paul. I mean, he had to wait for Timothy to make his way, you know, back to Thessalonica. By the way, Paul was only with them for about three weeks, you know, three Sabbath days. I mean, it's a very short time and he had to leave because of the persecution. And then the persecution, no doubt, was coming on them. And so he wanted to know, how are they doing? And, and so Timothy went there and then came back and gave Paul a good report on the people in Thessalonica. And Paul just thanks God. I mean, this is a, a very non-typical letter from Paul because he takes the first three chapters basically say this, I'm really thankful to hear how you're doing. Every time I come to chapter three, I think about, you know, our, our national anthem and parts of it that talks about, you know, the, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the, home, over the land of the, uh, uh, what does it say? Brave in the home of the free. My goodness. I was about to break out and to sing it. I know I could sing it, but I didn't want to terrorize you with that. But, uh, but anyways, you know, I, I think about that and how that he was looking to see is that flag still waving. And, and it's like Paul is saying, hey, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so, I'm so glad tonight that I'm so glad that the Christian banner was still waving there in Thessalonica. That's what he's saying. Their spiritual life caused him great joy, not great concern. Does your, does your spiritual life cause another great concern or great joy? Uh, Paul was so thrilled to hear that they were standing strong. They were standing strong, even though they were undergoing persecution. So, so here's what he does then. He says, I'm so glad that you, that you are, that you're standing strong. And here's how I pray for you. I pray that, listen, I pray that your love would, um, wait a minute, I didn't say that right. I pray that you would increase and that you would abound in love more and more. So he's praying that they would grow spiritually and that their love would abound. Why does he pray that way? Well, because if, if your love, if your love is really growing for God and for one another, here's what will happen. You'll be holy in your life. There's a correlation here. See, that is the, that is the great problem with the world's form of love. They're leaving out a key ingredient to what love is. To say love is love, choose your love, you're leaving out a key ingredient. That key ingredient is holiness. Because you can't truly love if you're not also concerned about holy living. Okay, the Bible says that God is love. I mean, our very, our very text, you know, First uh, John says that God is love. Well, one of the chief attributes of God is indeed his holiness. So God is holy. He cannot be otherwise. So Paul says, look at chapter 3 again and, and verse 12. If you would please closely follow along here. He says, the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even, the, even uh, I'm sorry, toward all men, even as we do toward Jews. Toward all men. You know, that would include, by the way, their persecutors. 
I thought about uh, Corey Ten Boom, who had a difficult time uh, showing forgiveness and having love towards uh, the Nazis who, uh, you know, took her family and took them to con concentration camps and eventually would lead to her sister Betsy passing away. But Betsy was the one who was exhorting Corey to, to show love and to show forgiveness even towards those that were doing her wrong. That's what this verse is talking about. And how that he was exhorting them to, to show love to all men that would be within the church and without the church, outside of the church. So show love to all men. All right. So show love one to another. That's, that's our, our theme here. Love God's way. Loving one another God's way. All right. So the reason that he was praying that for them is found in verse number 13. Look at it carefully, if you would, to the end or to this goal that if, if you're showing love to one another and to all men, here's what will happen. He may establish or strengthen your hearts. Everybody follow along right here. He may establish or strengthen your hearts. How? Unblameable in holiness. All right. Unblameable in holiness before God, even our father, and at the coming of our Lord and Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. So Paul says, listen, here's how I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would increase, that you'd grow spiritually, and that your love would abound more and more. Because as your love abounds, that will bring you into the realm of holy living. Because you're going to be loving God so much that you don't want to do anything that violates his will. And so what he's saying is, listen, this is not a list of rules. Pharisaism and, and being a Pharisee, they had all the external rules, but they did not love the lawgiver. They had the law, but they weren't loving the lawgiver. Paul is saying here, here, he's saying, listen, I'm praying that you would love the Lord and you love one another, because if you love the Lord and you love one another, then you'll do what's right. You'll be blameless. That means this, you won't be censored. You won't be censored. It, it won't be like God says, oh, wait a minute, I can't, I can't, I can't uh, endorse this kind of living right here. You'd be blameless. Uh, he's saying here that, that you'd be above reproach if you'd have the right kind of love, one towards another, towards God and, and towards all men. Here it is, even towards the lost. You'd say something like this, I want to live for God so much, I love God so much that I want to have the right kind of testimony before the lost people. And so, yes, they're living in a very wicked way, so I don't want to contribute to that by my way of life. I love God and I love others. And thus that keeps me in a place of holy living. So what he's emphasizing here is this. Listen, listen carefully here. True love leads to holiness not sin. True love leads to holiness, not, not sinful living. Of course, the world says you can be bisexual if you want to. The world says it's okay to have sex outside of marriage if you want to. The world says 
Adultery is okay. That's not true love. No, that's self-centered. Paul says, I'm praying, even in your society, I'm praying that you'd be so full of love that you'd, you and your heart would say, you know, I don't want to please myself. There's somebody else I want to please. Look at chapter four and verse number one. He says, furthermore, then furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that ye, as you have received of us, how you ought to walk in to please God. Okay, so he says, I, I beseech you, we beseech you. I guess that's, well, no, I'm not guessing. I know for sure that's what I'm doing here tonight is beseeching you, brethren, everybody here tonight. Wait a minute. Was, was this letter written just to the spiritual leaders of the church? No, it's written to all the members of the church, wasn't it? And so everybody here is included in this tonight. And, and any guests, you're certainly, uh, uh, this is applying to you as well. And those that are believers and those that aren't believers can be saved and become believers. But he's saying, I'm beseeching you and exhorting you by, by the Lord Jesus that ye, as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Hey, listen, that really is the key to the Christian life is that I want to please God. And if I, if I live to please God, then, then really I don't have to have a list of rules, although loving God comes with, that comes with the territory that we understand there are some things that pleases God and there are other things that do not please God. Now, if there's no God, you don't have to worry about this at all. But if there is a God then, and you're a believer, then you ought to be highly interested in what pleases God. And you ought to be very keenly aware of what displeases God, not, not just out of obligation, not just out of fear, but out of love. Because God has so loved us and God has so changed our lives, I want to show love to God by living a holy, separated life. That's not because I'm a narrow-minded legalist. That's not at all what Paul's getting across. He's saying this, no, he, listen, you need to live this way because, because of God's great love for you. Brethren, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So holiness, sorry, love leads to, I'm talking about true love, leads to blameless living, holy living, separated living because you're trying to please God. You know, there's all kinds of people we try to please. You might try to please a coach or a boss or try to please a parent or a friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a pastor or a professor. But listen, listen tonight very clearly. Here's who you ought to try to please. Please God. Make sure that everything you say, everything you do, everything you watch, everywhere you go is pleasing to God. And if it's not, then stop. Consider what truly pleases God. A main theme in these verses here, as you see in verse 2, 4, 7, and 8, is the word sanctification that also is uh, translated holy or holiness. Same word. Same word. So he's emphasizing the need for holiness here. If there was any area of life in which the Thessalonians were tempted to try to fit in with their society, it was in the realm of their sexuality. Let me ask you this here before we move on. I skipped over a part of my notes that's important. Who's tempted to give in to sin? 
those who are loving God or those who are loving themselves? Think about that. Who's tempted to give in to sin? Well, we all are tempted to give in to sin, but who's most prone? Those who are loving themselves. It's not like those who are loving God are immune or in some kind of a holy bubble. No, because we live in a real sinful, wicked world. So did they. But Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that your love for God would grow. I'm praying for you that your love for one another would grow. You say, yeah, but man, Brother Gaddis, they didn't, they didn't live in the kind of world that we live in today. In Acts 15, when the disciples got together in Jerusalem and they decided to write to the Gentile churches what they should abstain from, of course, there was idolatry and blood and things strangled. All that, that had to do with idolatry. But then also they said this, tell them to abstain from fornication. You know why he told them to, to abstain from fornication? Because that Roman culture and that Greek culture was so permeated with sexual sin. It's very common. I'm going to try to be careful right here tonight. But I am going to try to be clear. It's very common that a man, in addition to his wife, would also have a mistress. It's very common that they would be involved in prostitution, men and women. The temples were places where sexual acts took place in the names of their gods and goddesses. Things went on that, quite honestly, I, I do not feel comfortable even describing here. And I haven't even got to the homosexuality of their day and time. And, and in, in the midst of all of this moral chaos and confusion, God saved them. Some of them trusted Christ as their Savior. And they went from one style of life where in their society, according to societal norms, it was okay for a man, in addition to his wife, to also be involved with others. It was, it was okay in their society, but it was not okay with God. And so now God is calling them to live in a radically different way than their whole culture. In fact, Paul says it this way. Listen, I'm praying for you that you would abound more and more, even as you receive commandments. Listen, not from me as a man, but you got this from the Lord Jesus Christ. I just thought I'd pause right there to make sure everybody understood that that it's not man's ideas about sexuality, because if it was just another man's ideas about sexuality, then what is one man higher than another man? But if we're talking about the risen Savior here tonight, if we're talking about the creator of the ends of the earth here tonight, then he has the authority to say what is love and what is not true love. He has the authority to say what is right and what is not right. And so Paul says, listen, I'm talking to you here in this part of the letter about what is right and what is wrong in the eyes of God. And he says this, and this is the will of God. Man, I wonder, I wonder what the will of God is. You know, we sometimes talk about the will of God, like, you know, what's my career going to be and who am I going to marry and where am I supposed to live and all those things. I believe God can lead you in his will. But if anybody's here tonight wondering where do I start in knowing the will of God, hey, how about this? Start right here. This is the will of God. Even your sanctification. That you should be moderate in fornication. Is that what it says? That you shouldn't do too much 
No, he uses a very key word right here, abstain. That you should abstain from fornication. Fornication is any, any sexual activity outside of a husband, wife, male, female marriage. Abstain from it. It's the word pornea, the word from which we get pornography. So, well, evidently our society is okay with pornography as God. Jesus said, if you look upon a woman to lust after her your heart, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. So if God's against pornography, do you agree that he is? Is God also against people committing pornography? Or dressing lewdly? Would be against that. And I wonder if God would have things in his words that would talk about what nakedness is. If he, if he does, then would it please God or not please God if we abide by that? It would, wouldn't it? If we go by what, what God says there. And so he's saying here, this is, a, this is your sanctified life is that you would live according to God's will. By the way, Paul's goal here, God's goal here is not in any wise to destroy the physical desire between a husband and a wife, but rather it's this to sanctify it, to set it apart, to say, listen, this is good. This is wholesome between a husband and a wife. Spend a lot of years saying it this way. A fire in the house is fine as long as it's in the fireplace. But once a fire gets outside of that fireplace, it'll burn the house down. Water in a river is fine as long as it's within its banks. But anytime that water gets with outside of its banks, it'll destroy homes. What I'm saying tonight is simply this, that sexual desire that God has given a husband towards a wife and a wife towards her husband, that is a good and wholesome uh, desire that is God given. But if that desire goes outside of that marriage or is prior to that marriage or after that marriage or between two men or between two women, that's fire. That's fact, that's strange fire. That's outside of God's will. God can't, God can't bless that. In fact, not only does he not bless that, he works against that. Because this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Because look at the next verse there in verse number five, and uh, he's, or sorry, in verse number four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. And there's a question about, is that about his wife or is that about himself? And, and both would work there, but I, I tend to think that he's talking about his own body, that, that because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, and the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, then we're supposed to know how to control ourselves in sanctification and honor. And thus he's calling on them as believers to live according to God's standards, not according to the societal norms. Look at verse number five, not in the lust of concupiscence, which means unbridled lust, Wanton sexual desire. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Even as the Gentiles, look at this, which know not God. You know what he's saying right there? As a believer, you shouldn't live as an unbeliever. What well, sure is quiet in here tonight. I hope it's because you're thinking 
Hope it's because you're seeing the relevancy of this in our lives, in your life as well. Because again, this is not just for spiritual leaders. This is for you. This is not just for married people. This is for single people. This is not just for men. This is for women. This is not just for youth. This is for older people. And it's not just for the older people. It's for the young people. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother. And there's some question, does that move on to another subject? But because of verse 7 and 8, I tend to think is that he's, he's saying here, listen, you would wrong others. Which, by the way, didn't, didn't uh, Joseph say it that way when Potiphar's wife tempted him? He said, how can I sin against God? How can I sin against God and do this wickedness? And so he's, he's saying here, listen, you could wrong a brother. Which, by the way, when a man goes to another, another man's wife or to his wife, he's wronged him. And defraud or take advantage of his brother in any matter because the Lord, the Lord is the avenger. Hey, listen, you, you need to understand this. He's not talking about the lost world. He's talking about the saved world, that the Lord is the one who will make this right. The Lord is the one who will deal with the children that are in disobedience to him. He's the avenger. He's the one that will deal with those that are disobedient in sexual sin. And he says, the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. Listen, he's saying, listen, you better take real good heed to this because God doesn't take this lightly. He doesn't take any sin lightly. And, and because sexual sin is so destructive uh, to a person's life, he doesn't take this lightly. And so he says in verse number seven, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness. He's not called us, that's all of us as believers, not called us unto uncleanness, but unto what? Holiness. God's called you to holiness. God's called you in this society. God called them in their society. He didn't wait till their society got cleaned up. He said, listen, I want you to live this way in the midst of your ungodly society because God who is holy has called you in love to be holy. So don't put God on hold to answer any other call. No matter who it is or no matter what it is. You know, I believe I've mentioned this before, but, but when, uh, when I'm on the phone with Angie and I've got another call coming in, I, I've got the choice about in and accept. But if I'm in my right mind, I don't end a call with Angie to accept anybody else. Right? Why? Because her call's high <laughs> in my priorities. Are you following me right here? Hey, listen, can I remind you tonight that you've been called by the thrice holy God and it does not matter what commercial it is. It does not matter what video just came out. It does not matter what movie it is. It does not matter what person posted what. You've been called by God. Don't put God on hold for what you want to do. You better live to please him. God has not called us unto, unto un, uncleanness here, but he says he's called us unto holiness. He that, you say, well, I don't, this is going too far. I mean, look, our society is just, it's the way it is today. And I don't think this is that big of a deal. That's despising it. Despising it doesn't mean that you hate it. Despising it means that you just don't really take it serious enough. He that despises, look at it, despiseth not man, but God. 
Somebody says, well, you know, that's good for you, preacher. That's good for other Christians. But, you know, I'm, I, I'm just not going to live that way. Well, you're not despising men. You're despising God. And so Paul's writing to them that they would increase and abound in loving God's way because loving God's way would lead to a holy life that's pleasing to God. I mean, our society today, folks, has fallen apart. But that doesn't mean you and your family should follow because we're not of this world. Love and holiness are connected together. You can't separate the two. You can't say, well, I love God, but I'm also okay with this. No, you can't be okay with what God's not. And say that you truly love God. Just because people living around us are okay with your sin or just because the people at work are okay with your sin doesn't mean that God's okay with it. And just because you and your spiritual coldness, you've grown okay with it, doesn't mean that God's okay with it. What ought to matter most to all of us tonight is what pleases our wonderful God. Let me ask you tonight. Is God pleased... with your use of technology? Could you answer that question in your own heart and mind? <clears throat> I realize this is a little bit of a different message tonight, right? Would you agree it's one that we need along the way? Is God pleased with what you clicked on today? Is He pleased with what you posted? Is he pleased with what video you watched? Is he pleased with what you text? Is he pleased with what shows that you've watched on television within the last week, month? How much immorality is God okay with? How much? Some of you may need to cancel your Netflix or whatever other avenue you have because it, it's keeping you from really serving God. Is your use of your phone pleasing to God? I've seen recently some using their phone in the service. You know what you ought to do? You ought to turn that thing off. Surely you can give God four hours of your week. I'm not saying one service is four hours. I'm saying over span of Sunday, morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Surely you can stay away from your phone that long. But, uh, you know, it makes me wonder, well, if, uh, if a man's on his phone in the service, wonder what he's doing outside the service.
Is God pleased with what you're doing on your phone in private? Young man, um, is God pleased with what you've said to that young lady on the phone, over the phone? Is he pleased with the kind of standards that you're having in your life? Trying to protect her purity? And young lady, you too. Trying to protect his purity? The question certainly is not how far can we go. The question ought to be how can I best protect their purity? Is God pleased with the contacts that you have in your phone? Or on your social media for that matter? Is he pleased with it? I, I, I cannot be honest with this text and see the emphasis on love and the emphasis on holiness and not ask some of these questions right here. I remember sitting in a restaurant as a young man was struggling, trying to get out of a really wicked way of life. And I asked him, hey, can I see your phone a minute? I went through his contacts and there was all kinds of girls' names there. And I, I said, uh, I slid the phone back across. Would you go through and delete these contacts? He looked at his phone. I'll never forget the moment. He looked at his phone and said, I can't do it. And from that point, his life continued to spiral down. And I am glad to tell you that he came back around. But it wasn't without some major baggage. Are you willing to delete who needs to be deleted? Or unfriend who needs to be unfriended? Or blocked? Blocked? Who needs to be blocked? Is God pleased with your choices of music? You say, well, music's not that big of a deal. It's all moral. You're not thinking straight. Music's like the gateway drug. Think about all in our society that's attached to music. Think about everything from sports to movies to television shows to, I mean, you just name it, everything, restaurants. They know what kind of effect that music has on people. So if they want you in and out of there quick, they'll play something upbeat and get you in and out. Or it can create a little ambiance. Music has a powerful impact on our lives. So I'm just imploring you today, does your music list, does it please God? I'm not asking, do you like it? I'm not asking if your friends like it. I'm not asking if it's in the top 10, top 20. I'm asking tonight, do you please God with your music? I was encouraged. One of the young ladies uh, here at the church, Angie and I were talking to her and, and her friend and, and said at the place where she works, they asked her, hey, uh, what, what music do you listen to? And I forget the particular song. I know one of them was one of the songs that Brother Kevin uh, Higginbotham wrote, No More, I mean, powerful song. And they said, well, let's, let's play one of your songs. So they played her song at the end of the day. You think that pleases God? I believe it does. Because it's right. Are you pleasing God at work when you're away from your spouse? 
with everybody you talk to and the way that you talk to, you better be careful about a romantic attraction. Not just a physical attraction, but a romantic, emotional attraction. Those of you that aren't married, are you pleasing God in the way that you're interacting with the person of the opposite sex? Is that surrender to your life? I read John Stott, he said this, Christ's yoke is easy if you're surrendered to it. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, if you're surrendered to it. Now, if you're not surrendered to it, man, that feels like a heavy burden. You mean I can't even hold her hand? You mean I, we can't, well, I'll stop. But you, you get what I'm saying? You mean I can't, I can't, why not? Everybody else, well, everybody else is in a mess. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But I could say this, if you're looking at things you shouldn't on your phone and you're listening to things that you shouldn't be listening to and you're, you're interacting with people in a way that you ought not, here's what's going to happen in your life. You're going to have problems in your relationships. You're going to hurt people uh, that really love you and that you love. And if you're not listening uh, to the godly people in your life that are trying to help you, it's just a matter of time till your life really gets in a bad way because the Lord is the avenger of such. I don't say that with great joy, but I say that with a heart of compassion and love and trying to love God's way to say, listen, stop and think about where you're headed here just a minute. And think about the damage that you could do to your life and the life of others. Is God pleased? Is God pleased with your dress? If God refers to the thigh as a part of a person's nakedness, is he okay with you showing part of it? If in the Word of God, I just read Proverbs chapter 5 and uh, see, how did I write this? In part of Proverbs 5, part of that husband-wife relationship is, and part of the anatomy is to be enjoyed just by the husband. How much is God okay with you sharing with other people? I'm just simply saying, don't get your dress standards from the world. See, right there, and all the IFB haters would say, see, narrow-minded legalists, just like wanting everybody to be in a little box or dressing, you know, using the three L's of, of dress, apparel, loose, lots, and, and, and long. When it comes to a lady's apparel, you know, long enough to cover everything, not tight, but loose, and, and lots of it. See, narrow-minded legalists. And all the IFB haters of the world would take a message like this right here and say, see right there, that's not love. But you, you, know, you know what they're saying is love? Loose living. In more immodest apparel that God could never, could never approve of. And so it's really not so much that what they're headed towards is better, but rather that they're having such a hard time with really what God wants out of their life. God's view on love, safe to say, is quite a bit different than man's view on love. But God's view on love, so much better. It'll bring great relief to your life. Because 
until you get it right, like it is here, where in going on to love, brotherly love, and you're taught of God that way. And some of you may be living in a way that you didn't learn that from God. Taught of God to love one another. But once you surrender to the Lord and you're saying, God, would you help me? By the way, he doesn't expect you to do this by yourself. In fact, it says in, in this ver these verses here, he's given us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that makes us holy. It's not up to you and I to make ourselves holy or separated in that way, but it, rather it's, it's God working in us, in you, to make you holy. And once you submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, and by the way, he's not going to let up if you're one of his. You'll find relief once you submit to it. I remember years ago, our missionary Mike Smith was a student and he was doing an internship in New York uh, City area, Long Island, I believe it was. And he had an interesting story where in the process of taking apart a couch or something like that, he was trying to break it down to throw it away. And, and somehow he, he reared back on a piece of, of a board and it came loose and it popped his tooth out. So he went to the earth. Sorry, I know that's kind of gruesome or painful just sounding, but... And I looked this up to see if you can actually save a tooth by doing what they did, but you can actually put a tooth back in as an adult. I don't want to find out firsthand, but that's what they say you can do. So he went to this urgent care and they put his tooth back in. Well, it still caused him trouble. So he went to an ER and they said, what in the world? They put your tooth back in, but they put it in upside down. <laughs> so they took it back out and turned it around and it's all good. He still got it. Don't try that at home. <laughs> but it was going to continue to cause great discomfort. In fact, it would get infected, rot, and so forth until he got it right. Why is our society so rotten? Why is there so much pain? It's because... Man, apart from God's not getting it right. But you know God and let him help you get it right. And there won't be the pain and discomfort and rottenness that comes with it. But there'll be wholeness and health. Because God's love leads to holy living that pleases him. Father, thank you tonight for these moments. Um, this passage just confronted me today, yesterday, in preparation for tonight, as I believe it's confronted all of us, dear God. Lord, I pray you'd help us to live holy, separated lives, not to try to please men that are in movements, not to try to please preachers or parents, but God, to please you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight.